Go and have a seat. I want us to take a moment and just understand something. That you're in the presence of God. That God is here. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, He's with us. So do me a favor right now. Just close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And I want you for a moment just to let God love you tonight. Regardless of the level of your spirituality, allow Him to love you right now in this moment. Be in His presence. We thank you, God. I thank you that we found you, that you're easy to find. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. All right. How's everyone doing tonight? Yeah. All right. Cool. Can I get a, like a music stand or something? Someone? Anyway, so, um, man. Another packed house at the Commons. Good job, guys, packing it out. So, um, to, thank you, Mike. Oh, I got him in stereo. Okay, there we go. So, um, I got to tell you, we, we just sang that song, and um, it, right, the, the, the last lyric was, I found you. And There's a lot of truth in that. When you find God, there's, there's a lot of uh, emotion that comes from that. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret about God. Um, and I'll, I'll tell a story to, to set up this little secret about God. Um, last week was my wife Kelly and I. It was our 20th anniversary of being married. Pretty good. Pretty good. I think she's going to keep me. And um, let me tell you how, how we met. Okay? So... Um, I remember I was a youth pastor at this church called Daybreak Church in Carlsbad, California, and um, I was sitting in church in the back. Um, it's where all the youth group kids sat, so I sat with them. We sat in the back, and I'm kind of standing there. I'm standing next to the junior high pastor, and this hot young thing comes walking in, you know, <laughs> fresh out of college at UCSD, and I'm like, whoa, who's that? And um, the the junior high pastor goes, oh, that's Kelly Lusk. She's new. I'm going to ask her out. And I was like, fat chance. Um, And I learned something very quickly. In church, most churches, someone in church is going to say, hey, stand up and greet your neighbor. So I did what comes natural. I totally just lurked behind her. Because I knew the pastor was going to be like, hey, turn and greet your neighbor. And she stood up, turned around. I was like, hey, how you doing? See, I found her. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret about God. He found you way before you found him. He knew about you way before you even thought about him. He knew about you Before you were a dirty thought in your daddy's mind. I want you to know that right now. I'm just letting you know. God told Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I consecrated you. I set you apart. And I want you to know that tonight. God knows you. He's chosen you. He's so enamored with you that he gave everything up. He gave his son up for you so that you could know him and you could choose him. But he loved you first. I want you to know that. And that's the truth of the gospel. That he loved you first. And you're his favorite child. So look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm his favorite child. Don't go there, right? So here's the deal. Um, I love speaking of the commons for two reasons. One, um, there's something about seeing the next generations rise up and start following Jesus. It's powerful, right? So that pumps me up. And um, I even wore my H&M starter kit for you guys tonight because I wanted to look like you. So it's actually pretty easy. You just buy a black shirt and white shoes. You're good. So anyways, all I got to do is have an iPhone and I'm in. Okay, so anyways, so, so here's the deal. The reason though I love speaking to the commons is because... Uh, one, there's something about this group, thank you, that, oh, hi, there I am. Now I don't have to yell. It's, it's super funny. I'll let you in on a little um, secret. 
So, well, I don't need a microphone. Actually, that is, a good, that is one secret. But the, for some reason lately, this head-worn microphone, when I was a little kid, I had a lisp, and I talked like this a lot, you know? And that's not good when you're a public speaker. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes and Psalms, and we'll speak from the scriptures. It's not a good thing. And for some reason lately, when we've been using this mic on me, I start to sound like that. My wife one week was like, is my husband having a stroke? <laughs> so anyways, um, this one tends to not pick my lisp up anymore. So, okay. So here, here's, here's the deal. I'm totally thrown off now, but it's okay. Um, I love this group because I can get real with you guys. Uh, and I, last, last time I, I spoke here, like, I felt like I was kind of hard on everyone. Like, I came after, I got after people, and I walked off going, man, maybe I was too hard on, and then people kept going, no, you made me feel guilty, it was awesome. I was like, no, that wasn't my intent. They're like, no, I needed it, I needed conviction, and I was like, wow. And there was something about, like, the, the and I was talking to Scott about, it, like, the harder we push on this group, the more you guys respond. And there's something really powerful about that. And, and I, I, I love that. It, it's like you love tough love or something. When I was, um, my, my youngest son, he's 11 now, but when he was five, we were, um, he used to, you know, on Saturday mornings, he'd get out of bed really early and he'd crawl in our bed and he was all cute and now he's goofy. And um, he'd crawl in our bed all cute. And one morning, he's just kind of laying there next to me and we're watching TV, and he's really squishy and cuddly, and it was, uh, it's the best feeling, okay? And um, I kind of look at him, and he looks at me, and then he goes, boom, and he popped me right in the face. And I was like, ow, Carson, why did you hit me? He goes, tough love, Dad, tough love. <laughs> so here's, here's, the, here's, here's the deal. We're, we're, we're going to talk tonight about something hard, about change. Here's the deal. Everyone wants to change. Everyone wants a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes, right? That, that's that's kind of how it is. We all want change in our life, but we want change at no cost it is really what it is. The, the truth of the matter is, I want six-pack abs. Not really, though, because if I wanted six-pack abs, I'd actually eat like you need to have them, and I'd do crunches, and I'd actually maybe do a little bit of cardio every now and then. And, and the, the truth of the matter is, um, sometimes for us, we think change is just a good idea is really what's going on. We think to ourselves, I really need to change, and that's just a good idea. That's not what you really want to do, because when you really want to do it, trust me, you'll do it. And here's what I've learned over the years, and I, I want to teach you guys something because I, I just feel like um, I, I, I've, the Bible is amazing. And, and as, as I've been doing this walk as a Christian, I've been, I've been a Christian now almost 30 years, and I've noticed this. There's really, if we were to kind of make it simple, I can, I can sum church life up into two different groups, all right? So, so you've got this one group over here. And they're, um, they're, very, they're very buttoned up. Um, they're, they're, they're very clear on what they believe. Everything is black and white. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. They're doing the right thing. They are going to be holy. And they're going to be holy because God saved them and made them holy. And, th th you know, when you look at them, they, they just, they, they've got it together. They appear like they've got it all together. And um, it's really easy for them to look around and see, other people's flaws because they've got so they look so good on the outside you ever seen that you ever been to church and you see people and they just seem like the happiest people on earth oh only me because I see it every Sunday at any church I go to last week I didn't go to Clovis Hills I went to three different churches and they're all at the same church they're, they're everywhere you know, because you, you get them and they're like, oh, hey, praise the Lord. God is good. But you don't realize in the car on the way there, they're like, so help me, God. I will kill you, children. I'll drive us all in the lake. Praise the Lord. God's good, isn't he? See, but they've got it all buttoned up. They know how to talk right. They know how to act right. They listen to all the right music. They, they dress right. They know the Bible really well. And they're buttoned up. And when you look at them, there's, you don't see any sin in their life. They don't look messed up. They look high functioning. And then you go over here, and you got a different group of people. 
I like to call them the commons. Okay. Where they're not so buttoned up and, and they know they got problems. That's why they're coming to worship Jesus. That's why they're coming to learn more about Jesus, to draw nearer to Jesus, because they know I got sin in my life. I got issues in my life. I'm a little dysfunctional. Have you seen my family? See, but then this group over here, it's funny because if you, you, you go to this group over here and you, you tell them something's wrong with your life, they start acting like something's wrong. What do you mean something's wrong with your life? Well, obviously, if something's wrong in your life, it's you don't believe Jesus enough. You know, you haven't named it and claimed it enough or blabbed it and grabbed it or whatever it is that you need to do. You, you know, you don't have your blessing. You don't have your blah, that kind of thing. You're not doing enough. And to be honest, they sound like someone in the Bible. It was Job's friends. See, Job's friends, when Job, when life fell apart on Job, they looked at him and said, oh, well, you must be sinning. You're not doing it right. But see, the gospel tells us this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And it's those that will admit they're sick will find true change in their life. I want you to know that. Um, change, guys. We live in a world where everything is instant. Everything is instant. And the moment your internet speed gets slow, what do you do? It's the end of the world, right? You're like, oh my gosh. I remember when they first got internet on a plane. And we're on the plane and there's internet and you had to pay like 50 bucks for it, but whatever, it was there. And I remember, you know, they're, they're like, hey, JetBlue has internet now. And it was cool. And, and, and I, I remember thinking to myself, it's probably slow. You're in a tube 40,000 feet in the air and there's like some kind of electric tr signal bouncing to a satellite going all around the world back into a tube that's flying 40,000 feet in the air and you're worried about how slow your internet is. This is us. We live in an instant society. I want to take a picture. I'm going to upload it. I, you know, I want to see something. I need information. I want to contact my friends. Everything is instant, but I'm going to let you in on something and it's ancient and it'll never change is that Change is never a moment in your life. It's a process. Let me say that again. Change is never a moment in your life. It's a process. There are moments in your life that might mark the process of changing you, but it's something, trust me, I'm old. I'm the old guy in the H&M starter kit. Listen. It's a process, and there are moments, right? And you, you know some of them, like when you go to camp as a kid. You know, you go to camp, and they're like, you know, they, they're, they're singing whatever song is popular at that time. They sing 47,000 verses of it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, God is real. And it's that moment in your life. But what happens within three days of coming home from camp? Okay, forgive me. What happens within three hours of being home from camp? You're back to who you were. You know, and we, we, we sing, come just as you are. And we leave just as we were. That's, that's kind of the reality of it. And, and, and then we get frustrated and say, oh, well, Jesus, Christianity doesn't work. But I want you to know something. That's because we've missed it. That change is a process, not a moment. That was a moment in a long process of what God is doing you in you. And if you're waiting for just that moment, you're going to be very disappointed. And there's a, my favorite, one of my favorite books of all times, it was written by Eugene Peterson. He's the guy that translated the Message Bible. And the title of it is called, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what following Jesus is. And it's a series of little moments in your life. And you headed in God's direction. And over time, you begin to see change. Now, there are some people that change overnight. You ever met those people? You probably got some of you in the room. If you're here tonight, I just want you to know, I hate you. Um, no, I'm kidding. I love you. But it's just frustrating because that's not been my story. It's been a process of good decisions and bad decisions. And all, along the way, God has had his hand in all of them. So, change is a process. And I want you to look at what the Bible 
says about change. I, I think this is incredible. In uh, 1 Peter 4.1, and I'm going to read 4.1, and I'm going to pause, and I might read it again, then we're going to read through the whole passage to 4.10. So I would love it if you're able to, if you'll stand in honor of God's word. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I'm going to read that one again because that is incredible. That is an incredible statement. And I want you, I know what scripture reading is in church. And you just, you're standing there. I want you to take this in. Listen to this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, raider nation, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. I know. I'm just saying if you're awake. I love you raider fans. Come on. I do really. I hate the Raiders, but I love you. So anyways, um, it says here, verse 4. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be a judge according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And this is the one. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. In its various forms. This is God's word. You may be seated. See, I, I talked about those two groups, right? And the group over here, they look like they have it together. But I want you to know something. And this is what I learned. And the reason I know this, because I was one of these people over here. I was very religious. I knew the Bible backwards and forwards. I, you know, the Bible was not a sword to me. It was a billy club, and I would beat you with it and win. And I liked to argue with people, and I was, you know, and I, on the outside, I had my life buttoned up. I looked holy. But here's what I've learned about human beings, is that everyone is ugly close up. I hate to tell you that. Some of you, you came tonight, and you saw your future spouse. You're like, there she is. Oh my gosh, she's radiant. Oh my gosh, he's so handsome, he's so hot. Just get a little closer, you'll see. Just letting you know, I'm here to encourage you. Merry folk, you ever wake up at three in the morning and look over and go, oh my God! There you go. So anyways, um, I say, oh my God, I'm such a lucky man. But anyways... Um, Honey, you told me you're going to leave. <laughs> so anyways, here's the deal. Everyone, everyone has flaws. And the, here's the difference. The people over here, they're never going to get better. They're going to be, their soul is going to be sick until they expose those flaws to the light. And I want to I read you verse 1 of the passage we just read because this is astounding to me. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. Pull out your freaking Bible phone and highlight that one because that's an important one. It says, since Christ suffered in his Bible, arm yourself. Arm yourself. Think about what that means. That's going on the offensive, okay? Um, I don't own a gun. I'm not anti-gun. I think guns are cool. Like, I, you know, I go to the shooting range, and I like to blow stuff up and, and shoot stuff. I don't own one. I'm particularly kind of a pacifist, to be honest. And, and um, that was pa actually passed on to me from my Marine father. 
who taught me to be a pacifist, believe it or not. And, um, but I have no problems with, with guns. But when you think of arming yourself, you arm yourself so that, one, you can protect yourself and so you can go on the offensive. And in this church, you, you would never know it, but there's always a security team creeping around. Whether it's on Wednesday night, there's a bunch of people here. Sunday morning, there's even people here tonight that are armed here to protect you in case something happens. And I want you to think about that. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself. Some of you are like, oh, cool, this is a sermon on gun control. It's not. Because it doesn't say arm yourself with an AK. It says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Okay, therefore, Christ suffered. Arm yourself with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. See, the world we live in, it hates suffering. Suffering is like, why would you ever embrace your suffering? Like, we want to do everything to get away from our suffering. Um, you know, in my family, there's some people in my family, and they love camping. How many of you love camping? Hey, yeah, you're campers. So camping is, is cool, I guess. It's basically the actions of a homeless person, but... Um, just being honest, like, you're gonna, like, let's go lay on the ground for seven days and sleep outside and not shower and, and eat dumpster food, but, um, so some people like camping, some people don't. I don't like camping because I don't particularly like suffering. I would much rather be in a five-star hotel. Now, because I love my family and I'm a pastor and I'm Poe, I'm I can't even afford the R, so I'm just Po. Okay? I camp. I can't stay in a five-star hotel. So, so here, here's the thing. The world we hate, though, it, or the world we live in, it, it, it hates suffering. And um, it, it's funny, even as Christians, right, as American Christians, we love when we talk about grace. When I start talking about grace, it doesn't matter whether it's the commons or um, Sunday service, or Saturday service, or wherever it is, you start talking about grace in America, we all go, yeah, right on, pastor. Don't be judgmental. Yeah, grace, God forgives everyone. God loves everyone. We amen those messages to death. Um, same about freedom. You talk about freedom. You have freedom in Christ. You can do what you want. You're forgiven. Da, da, da. People, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, it's funny, though, because if you took that same message to Christians that live in Egypt, and, um, or the Middle East, or just even people that live in another part of the world, the Middle East, and you talked about God's grace, they go, ooh, I don't like that message. That's gross. But you got up and you talked about the Bible's ethic on sexuality. They go, hey, well, that's not bad. It's, it's a little liberal, but it's not bad. And see, different cultures find different parts of the Bible offensive. And uh, I'm going to be honest, in the 21st century in America, we don't even read the suffering parts. See, and what the world does, and we fall into it, is they say, you need to embrace things that will take away the suffering. Sex will. Food will. Alcohol. Amazon. Wish.com. Drugs, whether they're legal or prescription. Working out. Um, social media. Even religion. See, and, and some of those things in the list aren't bad things. But, but, but here, here's the thing. We end up using them so much to numb us so we don't have to think about suffering in our life. We don't have to think about the pain that's happened to us in our life. And there... It, you know, when, when you take a painkiller, it numbs your body. It never dealt with the problem. Hopefully, you know, you're take, doing physical therapy or something that's dealing with the actual problem. But the painkiller never fixes the problem. It just numbs it. And um, I'll be honest, and, and I can be that same person. We're, we're just walking around numb most of the time. And we don't want to lean in to that, that suffering. Even though the scripture says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And anyone sin here in this room? Do we have any sinners in this room? Yeah? yeah. Anyone struggle with that? Okay. And um, anyone here have a dysfunctional family? Yeah? Anyone here not have a dysfunctional family? Okay, that your name is, 
either Adam or Jesus, because <laughs> that's just, that's reality. So, 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 so here, here's the thing. Um, the, the scriptures already told us we have to arm ourselves, right? Arm ourselves with the same attitude, with, with that ad- attitude of suffering. And I want you to know something. Um, when, when you build a house, you build it on a, on a foundation. And usually you want, the better your foundation is, the longer the house is going to li- last. And um, when houses get old, the foundation cracks. And I remember, um, uh, I'm, well, my dad's dead, so I can throw him under the bus on this one. Um, I remember he was selling a house, and um, he, <laughs> the foundation was cracked on it. And I said, well, and I, you know, I remember, I was just a little guy. And I'm like, Daddy, there's a big crack in the foundation. He goes, oh, we're just going to put some crack filler in that and put carpet over it. Don't worry about it, son. I knew exactly what he was doing. Now. He didn't want to disclose the fatal flaw that was in that house. See, because if you have a foundation and it has a severe crack in it, eventually the foundation is going to crumble. And see, what we love to do is put a little bit of a, a, a crack filler over the top. We don't ever want to crawl down in that crack and figure out what caused it, what's making it, because it's probably making other cracks in our foundation. We just want to Gloss it over, put some laminate on it, and move on. But I need you to understand something. The truth of, 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 of the gospel is this, is that every one of us are sinners. And in our lives, because we come from dysfunctional homes full of sinners, and I'm going to let you in on it, you did see your future spouse here tonight, maybe. You guys might get together, and um, you might even have children one day. And I'm going to let you in on something. You're going to jack those kids up too. They're going to be a mess. And there's going to be cracks in their foundation too. And here's the problem. The world doesn't want us to crawl down in those and figure out what they are and lean into our suffering and into our pain. And I've been the same way my whole life. You know, um, I've been reading a lot about this thing called the Enneagram. If you know what the Enneagram is, it's, it's like a trendy thing about your personality type. And one of the things about my personality type is we are averse to pain. We don't like pain. And um, that's why I made a joke about my dead dad, to be honest. That was out of my brokenness. I didn't plan to make that joke. I'm just letting you know. But I want to gloss over my pain, make a joke about it, move on from it, because I don't want to crawl down in that crack. But the Bible says, therefore arm yourselves. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself. And really what God's calling us to do sometimes is to crawl down in those cracks and shine the light of Jesus around there and see what's causing them. And you may get change on the surface, but it'll never be too, true change. And I, and I, I want to, I'm going to give you two, two little stories. Of, well, I'll give you three. I'm going to give you one of me and two friends I have. Okay. Myself, um, in 2016, I um, met a guy that I really looked up to. He's a, a well-known pastor and I, I met him at a camp and I just kind of worked up the cojones and I just went and asked him, I said, hey, will you mentor me? And he was like, yeah, I don't know, you know, and he, he was like, oh, call my assistant. So I did. She didn't call me back. I emailed her like five times. Eventually he got back to me because I just kept bugging him. And then he gave me a bunch of hoops to jump through. He's like, listen to these 10 CDs and write a paper on all of them. And he's just trying to get rid of me. So, but I really wanted him to mentor me. So I just kept, I did it all. And then he was kind of obligated. He had to mentor me, sucker. And um, so we started meeting over Skype. And I remember our very first meeting because it was like he read my mail. So he's like, tell me about what's going on in your life. And, and I'm telling him all the great things that are happening at Clovis Hills and how many different things that God's doing and how the church was exploding. And he goes, oh, okay, I've got you figured out. And I was like, okay. And he goes, well, here's the thing. Um, well, it seems like you've been a Christian for a pretty to- long time in your life. You've been in leadership as a Christian for a long time in your life, and you haven't had any giant moral failings. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm buttoned up over here, right? And he said, so what the enemy, his strategy is with you is he's going to let you be super successful until you just burn out and have a moral failing because you can't say no to anything. You're a ministry addict. And I was like... You're a ministry addict. <laughs> Crap. 
And that sent me on a process into a 12-step program with six other pastors. And I went into, and I got no problem saying it, I went into recovery. And I realized I was codependent. And um, I had been through the 12-step before, but I needed it again. Because I, for me, I'm not a super disciplined person. I needed some kind of framework for change. And that was very helpful for me. I didn't have any addiction. I was just codependent. I said yes to everything. I didn't want to let anyone down. So I'll give you another story. I have a friend, Jessica, and um, as a teenager, she developed uh, bulimia, and she was uh, really struggling with it. At one point, you know, she, she's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, she was 70-something pounds. She was close to death. And, um, but no, you know, no one ever said anything, and she never said anything. She was over here, and she went to church, and she was in youth group, and she worshiped the Lord, and she was on the worship team, even though she, you know, at a certain point she looked like Skeletor on the worship team. But, I, 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 you know, no one ever said anything, and, and I, I, need you, I need you to know something. She was dying. And Jesus had changed her on the surface, but there were deep cracks in her life. Okay? My other friend, Alex. Alex... Alex was a marijuana dealer before it was legal, okay? Um, and he grew lots of it and sold lots of it and made tons of money. And I met Alex one night after a, a concert. We were, we were hanging out, and we started talking about Jesus, and he's like, yeah, I don't know. And um, a couple weeks later, he went with his brother, who I'd led his brother to Christ, and his brother took him to see Miles McPherson down in San Diego. And uh, Miles gave the gospel, and Alex came forward and gave his life to Jesus. He went home that night, and he had about 10 pounds of weed in his in his. In his, um, in his house, and he went in his backyard, threw gasoline on it, lit it on fire, got the whole neighborhood high. <laughs> Never went back to it again. Whole neighborhood's like, man, I'm hungry. That brownie was so good, I could eat one of them. So, so then, hey, slow down, Luke. Hold up on that, okay. So, so Alex... I was, he was about to play the wrap it up music and I got a ways to go. So hold on. So listen, uh, Alex, Alex got, sorry. He's like standing there now like, I'm embarrassed. I'll, I owe you one. Alex um, ends up getting in a Bible school, just becomes on fire for Jesus. He's just fired up, um, going to church He's involved in all kinds of ministries, becomes a youth leader, um, you know, helps me plan a church. But here, here's, here's the thing. Alex, again, just glossed over. I'll give you the difference between Alex and Jess. Jess, at a certain point, got sick and tired of being sick and tired. She knew this was killing her. And she was not the person God had created her to be. And she leaned into it, and she began to talk to her youth leader about it. And she found out that her youth leader had struggled with it. As a matter of fact, she, when she came out and told her growth group that she struggled with bulimia, all of a sudden, three or four other girls in her group said, so do I, and so do I, and so do I. And before you know it, they became this group of people that were leaning into their pain. And they, they, they began to hold each other accountable. And they, they you know, like, they, they would know. They'd be like, they, you know, they'd see each other at school and be like, did you eat lunch today? No, you did not. Come on. We're going to get a taco snack. Let's go. She leaned into it. Here's what happened. She began to find that on the surface, the fruit was bulimia. But deep down inside that crack, the deeper she crawled, the scarier it got. But she realized it was based on, on, on the fact that she never felt loved. And everyone's going to be different. I'm not saying everyone with bulimia. That's why you have bulimia or whatever addiction you have or whatever issue you're struggling with. But that was hers. Here's the fascinating thing about Jessica. She kept leaning into it. And before you know it, she was leading other girls out of it. Jessica's a mom of two girls now, and she's a marriage and family therapist. She, she's a youth leader at her church. She's probably led hundreds of girls now out of bulimia. She's getting her Ph.D., my friend Alex, who I love, he went on to become very successful in his job. He got addicted to work. From that, he got addicted to exercise. 
left the career because he made a bunch of money, started working out a lot, decided he wanted to become a firefighter. He got super buff, all jacked. He, mind you, when he started, he was 347 pounds. Then he's all lean and jacked, you know, three, four years later. Ended up hurting himself as, 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 a, as a firefighter. Because of the pain, he gets on oxycodone. Ox- he ends up becoming an op- opioid addict. This is a guy that accepted Jesus. This is a guy that loved Jesus. The last time I had talked to Alex, he was living on the streets of Tijuana. And he called me. He said, BD, can you send me $200? I knew he was going to buy drugs with it, and I sent it to him anyways. It was, it was a gut check, but I did it because I also know this. Alex wasn't going to change until it hurt. And the truth of the matter is, in our lives, you won't change till you feel the heat. And when you feel the heat, you go, that's too hot. I don't want to be near that anymore. Good story, though. Alex's brother, Marcos, who I led to Christ, he's a pastor now. He called me about eight months ago and said, Sean, Alex is ready. They checked him into a program, a nine-month program for homeless men in Vista, California. He's in month eight right now. He's, it's affiliated with North Coast Church in Vista. He's part of the ministry school there now. But, but here's the thing. I know this about people. Alex, he could just be addicted to Jesus again. And unless he gets deep in those cracks of why he is the way he is, and he leans into the pain that's there in him, you'll only get surface change. And you may be a person over here, but over time, you'll end up being one of those people, just with surface change. So, let me explain to you what, what happened with Jessica. Look at verse 10 in this passage. And I do apologize, Commons leadership. I'm going long, but I, I, this is amazing. Look at verse 10 here. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others of, hold on. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you should use whatever gift that you've been given to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Please listen to this. I know that you think grace is forgiveness. You know, when you hear about the grace of God, you go, yeah, I love God's grace. And and Part of grace is forgiveness. That's just one part of grace. To say that grace is just forgiveness is like, you know, if I walked in here tonight with a steering wheel to a car and I go, hey, look at my new car. It's awesome. See me driving my new car? Well, that's a piece of the car, but that's not the whole car. See, Peter's letting you in on something very powerful that you won't hear this. You won't get this in church most times. I need you to know this. He, it's hard to do it in a 30-minute sermon. That's why I'm going long. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Here's what that means. You know, when my friend Jessica leaned into her pain to her youth leader, her youth leader, she was just a waitress. She got to be part of giving out God's grace to her. See, grace is more than forgiveness. It is forgiveness, but it's God's unmerited favor. It's you getting what you don't deserve. And see, the way grace empowers you to live a godly life. You have to understand that. It doesn't just forgive you so you can live in your sin. It actually forgives you, and then grace is empowers you to live a godly life. And here's what happened. Jessica leaned into her pain. My friend Becky began to administer God's grace to her. Pretty soon, all the other girls in the group who were also struggling with bulimia and didn't have their act together and had all kinds of issues in their family and all kinds of mess-ups, they began to administer grace to her too. And then she began to administer grace to them. 
And do you see what happens is that God gives you in your gifts, in your stories, and even in your sin, grace upon grace. And it's not just for you, it's for you to give to your brothers and sisters. She was obedient to grace. And she still is to this day. And it's been a long obedience in the same direction. My friend Alex, the jury's out. Does God love him? Yes. Is he saved? You bet. I know he is. Has he got a whole bag of issues and then a truck behind it? Yes. But God loves him. We'll see if he can become obedient to grace. So here's the deal. God gives grace in his various forms, but I want you to understand something. Satan gives counterfeit grace. He does, right? Oh, I don't feel loved. I need a man. Oh, I'm so bored. I need to get high. Oh, I don't feel good about myself. I need to eat my feelings right now. I need to go work out too much. I need to get on social media. And, you know, and I love it because we always talk about like, oh, we hate fake religious people, but then we take 75 selfies just to get the right one. And a planted where we're like pretending to do something like thinking. No, wait, wait, I should stand this way. Here's the deal. Satan has all kinds of counterfeit grace. He's got the pill for you. It's called sin. And it'll make you forget about your pain. But it'll never heal it. You'll never find victory in it. He'll let you put crack fill over it. So that you'll just keep going to it. And you'll just start pretending the Jesus thing, or you'll just stop following him. That's reality. And until we crawl into those cracks, and I want you to know something, <laughs> I'm still crawling in, and it, I get, sometimes I crawl in and I get scared, and I go, ah, I'm too deep, I'm coming out, coming up for air. But I want you to know something. The Bible promises me this, and it promises you this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And it, your change may not happen overnight, but if you commit to a long obedience in the same direction of following Jesus, you will see over the period of your life, God transform you from someone who was deeply wounded into a wounded healer. So, what do I do? Let me, ra I'll wrap it up now, Luke, okay? Now, go ahead. Well, no, don't start the music yet. No, no. I need to give you something practical before we do the camp moment. Here's the deal. What do I do? What do you do with this? That, that's great information. And I'm just going to give you a couple really practical things that you need to be doing the rest of your life. Okay? These are practices you need to have in your life till you're very, very old. Matter of fact, till you die. And if you do these, God is going to use these things to, to, to change you. Okay? And the, the first is, 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 is very simple. Is you've got to have a tribe. You've got to have some people that are committed to following Jesus and committed to change just like you are. Not a bunch that are like, I love Jesus, I like to sing. They're great. But you need more than that. You need some people that are going to crawl in that group. I know, I have friends every Tuesday night, they show up at Celebrate Recovery. Um, my, my friend Todd Harris, who happened to be here tonight, which is amazing for this message, Todd actually um, has recovery groups for for, he has one for a bunch of millennials they meet in secret. They're like the X-Men or something. I don't know. Uh, talk to him if you, wanna, you, you want change. He'll, he'll put you somewhere. Um, just letting you know. But you will. But, but you've got to have a tribe. That's why we do growth groups. And the truth of the matter is, to get in a growth group and get in those cracks, it's probably not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a couple years of getting close to them and getting to know them. I, you should never expect you show up to your first night at a growth group and you're like, hey, tell me about how so-and-so abused you. Don't, eh, no, that's weird. You only share that with people you're close to. The cracks in your foundation are meant for a few to crawl down there with you. And they'll administer the grace. And you'll crawl into those cracks with them, but it takes time. And that's why you need to always be in a growth group. And if your growth group falls apart, because they do, you get in a new one. And if that one's weird, you find a new one. Sometimes you're the weird person, okay? The ne next thing, I'm going to let you know, church attendance. 
I know like there's this group, there's a lot of people that go to different churches. We got a representation from around the city and you don't need to go to Clovis Hills, okay? But, but you need to be a member at a church, not just someone that shows up, but you need to be someone that's contributing to a church that's really part of the body, not just a consumer of the body of Christ, but a communer that communes with the body of Christ. <clears throat> make this your habit in life. If you make this your habit in your life, here's, here's what, here's what I, I, I know is there will be dry times during that time. There will be times where the pastor is lame. There will be times where you don't like the song. You know, I know we sang that song, uh, what was it? A hundred billion, so will I. I love that song, right? Well, I'm just going to let you know. In five years, that song's going to be oceans. And you'll be like, this one? This song's lame. Just letting you know, I've been in the game for a while. I see how it works. And there will be seasons where church may not be that great, but you keep going. You keep administering grace, even if you're not getting any. You keep giving it out, because I'll let you know something. God will never run out of grace for you to give. Okay? The other thing is you need to be serving. I was so encouraged to see a, a lot of you start getting involved in serving after Scott's message last month. Amazing. But there's something that happens when you start serving. The faith is no longer about you. Something powerful happens to you. And you begin to be about other people. I know we all think we're about other people, but let's be honest. To, for some of you, the degree of serving that you do is you click like on Facebook or on Instagram. You're like, oh, there's a charity, clean water for African kids. I put a heart on it on Instagram. I feel good about myself. I'm changing the world. I care about social justice. Listen. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to do the freaking dishes. I need you to understand that. And if you can't hold a baby in church, you ain't going to go to Africa and bring clean water to tribes if you can't do the little things. Because God said, if you're faithful with the little things, he'll give you greater things. And sometimes you suck at the little things. I used to mow the lawn at my church when I was your age. I mowed an anarchy sign in the church lawn. I got fired. They moved me to children's ministry, ironically. <laughs> Unhealthy church, whatever. So here's the deal. Here's what you need to know. Now you can start the wrap it up music. <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. I think my friends in AA, they've got a phrase that I think kills. And you should adopt it. Keep coming. The program works if you work it. See, we see so many people that go, oh, I'm disenfranchised with church. I, and you may be today. But I need you to know something. The program works if you work it. This whole grace thing is a game changer. And when you start receiving it from other people, and it takes time, and then you start administering it, it changes the game. And for some of you, your first step is to receive Jesus tonight. See, Jesus said this. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone will listen, I will come in. That God, in this moment, in this night, on August 5th at the Commons, knew you would be here. He knew where you were, and he loves you so much. He's not mad at you. And he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And, and John, in the book of John, he said this, that as many as who would receive him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And what really what that means to receive Jesus is to just admit, to say, you know what? I got some deep cracks. I have sin in my life. Not to mention the little, little sins in my life. I have deep sins in my life and I can't fix them. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me of them. And then would you come into my life and begin to administer the grace to help me overcome them? And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's good news, you'll be saved. 
for eternity. God will give you a purpose today. And then it'll be your job to walk it out and figure it out. So let's pray. And wherever you're at tonight, some of you, I know, this message struck a nerve with you. But I want you to know something. God loves you right where you're at. He knows about the deep cracks in my life, my hurts, my hang-ups, the habits I have that cause me to, to break fellowship with him. And he knows about yours, but he loves you. And he wants to send you in a trajectory of change. So maybe tonight, you've never accepted Christ before. I just want to invite you to do that. It's really easy. You just pray. You just talk to him in the quietness of your heart. If you don't know what to say to him, just maybe you pray just a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I realize my sin has separated me from you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Tonight, I want to receive your grace. Change me and make me the person you want me to be. If that's you tonight, if that was a prayer of your heart, just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, do me a favor. In an act of boldness, would you just raise your hand right now and show me if that was a prayer of your heart? I want to pray a blessing on you. Hold it high. Don't be afraid. God bless you, man. Anyone else? Hold them high. It's hard to see in here. Lord God for some of us we believe in you but tonight was a moment in a process and there's some here tonight Father I pray you would give them the grace to overcome the hurt they have the hang up they have the habit they have the sin that is weighing them down because we know you've already forgiven it you did it on the cross because you're good Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you raised your hand tonight or you prayed that prayer, on behalf of this church, we want to welcome to the family of God. Amen. God bless you. And I'll tell you what, um, the band's going to sing a song. I think you guys are going to sing King of My Heart, right? So everyone gets saved when King of My Heart is played. So do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer, or maybe you just need prayer tonight. Maybe like that struck a nerve and you just need someone to pray for you. Um, just over there by the door over there, it's super dark. No one will even see you, don't worry. It'll be like Nicodemus. I'm gonna be over there and I'll have a couple friends over there and we're gonna pray for you. We just wanna pray a blessing on you, um, what, whatever you need. But we just heard good news that God's not mad. He loves you. He's crazy about you. So our response should always be in praise. So let, let, let's stand up and sing to the King of our heart. Amen.